right? Or to cultivate friendship. So thank you very much. All right, it's Memorial Day weekend, right? So we want to acknowledge and honor those who have served and died for our beloved country. Why don't we just take a moment to pray blessing and honor, pay, pay respect there. So Lord, we thank you for the people that have served and given their lives for the sake of freedom. We just pray for the folks at home. Uh, Lord, we're grateful. We just pray for your blessing and your healing for lives that have been lost in service. Amen. So I hope you're having a good Memorial Day weekend. We, uh, we meet like this, and boy, does it feel good. Does it feel good to just see other faces, and it's still maybe a little bit peculiar that we have every other row in some places and some of these things. We're walking it out phase by phase, and what are we in? Phase 21? No, I'm kidding. Phase 2? Yeah, phase two. So we're walking it out. We're doing what is being suggested, but boy, it sure is good to be together. Christians have met for 2,000 years to worship together, to study the Bible, to pray the scriptures, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can go out and carry the kingdom of God during the week. And that's what we're here for. Really, Sunday is kind of a pit stop. In our staff meeting this week, we had an image of a bonfire. And so we were all gathered around the bonfire, getting warm again, letting the, the fire radiate. And so that's what we do on Sundays. The whole point of this is not that it's slick, but that you get filled up, that you get to encounter the living God, that you encounter Jesus Things get set in motion so that you can go during the week and do the works of Jesus. And part of what Connie said, we also meet during the week with groups. And typically we have about 30, 35 groups that meet. So we'll have more of that information in the fall. So today we're continuing our series on spiritual warfare. We're in part two and last week was so rich that I got stalled a little bit in Mark 3. And so today we're going to look at Luke 10, and then we're actually going to do one more week next week and look at spiritual warfare and the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6. So today, if you want to look at Luke 10, and we're going to be looking at four things that Jesus teaches about spiritual warfare. And if you remember last week in Mark 3, we just saw two things. And again, we're looking at some of the key teachings of Jesus on spiritual warfare. And we saw in Mark 3, 14 and following, that the first thing Jesus points out is that we're called to be with him. And so warfare actually begins with friendship and intimacy with Jesus. And there's all kinds of misguided ideas around spiritual warfare, but we learned that the closer we are to him, the more we're realizing our union with him, we're filled with his spirit. That is the starting point, and frankly, the finishing point for warfare. We're his friends. He gives us authority. We're going to see this in Luke 10. The second thing we saw in Mark 3 is that he has already defeated the enemy. You remember that word picture? from Mark 3, that Jesus 
has bound the strong man. Jesus entered into the domain of the enemy and tied him up through his life, his death, his resurrection, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He has bound and defeated the strong man. So with that in mind, we're going to look at Luke 10, 17 through 22, and I'm going to point out four things. Further reflection from the master of spiritual warfare, Jesus. We're going to see, really, spiritual warfare is about his kingdom breaking in through his person, through his words, through his works. The kingdom of God breaks in. So let's read Luke 10, 17 through 22, and I'll make a few comments. This is the word of the Lord. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At verse 21. At that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So this rich text, these few verses, say many things about spiritual warfare, but the first one is found at verse 17. And frankly, we probably don't hear enough of this. We have great joy in warfare. I know some of you, I was having conversations over the last couple weeks, we're gonna talk about spiritual warfare and some people were like, oh, that's so heavy. Or there's so much swirling around that. Friends, there is joy in warfare. Look at what Jesus says. The 70 are returning and they're saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us, but how do they return? They return with joy. They're finding joy in the lordship and kingship of Jesus. They're filled with joy and boldness. It's a twofold kind of rejoicing here. The first is rejoicing they belong to the Lord Jesus, and secondly, they're empowered by him. Look at what the text says. Lord, in your name, the demons submit to us. And we're joyful because of that. Then Jesus goes on to explain, look at verse 20. Again, we're going to come back and make different comments, but the first one is joy. Look at what he says at verse 20. Do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What does that mean? It's a very Jewish concept. In the Old Testament, there's something called the book of life that shows up over and over again, really from the book of Exodus all the way through the Old Testament scriptures. 
Just to give you an example, in Daniel 7, 10, the prophet Daniel seeing a vision and there's books opened up. One is the book of deeds. Bear with me a moment here. This is a strange thought. The, the book of deeds. And for the Jewish mind, it meant that everything that you do is recorded. All that we do, our words, our actions are recorded. It's basically communicating we're going to give account for our lives. So I would ask Jesus, wow, that, how am I supposed to find joy in that? Well, the other thing that this book means, and it shows up, and we see it in Revelation 20, verse 12, it's a book of life. That if you know God and say yes to God, that your name is recorded in that book. And so what Jesus is saying to them is, hey, it's, it's fine to experience joy, to have joy in your hearts, that the demons submit to you, but friends... You're known by God. Your name is in the book. You'll be with the Father forever. Nothing can separate you. So it is, it's really a twofold joy. You belong to Jesus and you're empowered by him. And so I want us to ponder that for a moment here. We don't think about joy and warfare probably enough. Jesus is going to go on and explain further joy. The word shows up five or six times in this passage. He finds joy. He rejoices in the Holy Spirit at verse 21. We'll see more about that in a moment. Joy is a sign of the kingdom of God. And again, we're not talking about fake, you know, screw on a smile, but we're talking about something in the guts an unstoppable sense of I'm loved by God. I belong to the Lord. Great joy. Paul says in Romans 14, 17 that the sign of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying when the kingdom breaks through, yes, demons tremble and they're subject to you. But there's also great joy. It's a sign of the kingdom of God, his liberating power. A second thing is found in verses 17 through 18. And the 70 are returning to him. And look at verse 17. They're returning with joy. And how do they address Jesus? They address him as Lord. And so there's some kind of discovery that's happening right now. They're recognizing when they use his name that even the demons of hell are doing what they command. And they're recognizing you're not just an ordinary man. Uh, we're seeing signs that you are the promised Messiah. You're on the scene. And Jesus will go on later to say that the prophets long to see what you're seeing. So they're saying you are the messianic king. You carry the kingdom, and the kingdom is here right now. Lord, in your name, it's your authority, your person, who you are that gives us authority. One commentator, Joel Green, says this, the disciples operate in his name. They are united with Jesus and authorized by him to expand his kingdom ministry. 
Listen to this. Engagement in mission in the name of Jesus by the 70 prefigures the activity of the church in the book of Acts. So what's happening here is going to blossom and flower in the book of Acts. And in Acts, listen to what they do in the name of Jesus. Christians heal, they preach, they're baptized, they suffer for his name, and they call upon the name of Jesus. So the text here, talking about warfare, shows us the authority, the power of the name of Jesus. And friends, this is why we pray the Jesus prayer. Is there a more powerful name in the whole universe than Jesus? Let's say it together. Say Jesus. Jesus. It's why I love the 10 words. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. The demons tremble at that name. And the disciples were seeing that. The 70 were saying, Lord, your name is unlike any other name. And so the text is showing us here, in Jesus' name, the demons submit. And look what else it says. It says, Satan falls. Look at verse 18. This is a rather cryptic verse, isn't it? Strange to think about Jesus seeing Satan fall like lightning. Jesus says at verse 18, and then we'll look at it. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. What is this about? Means many things. But Jesus, because his mind was filled with scripture and the word of God, he's watching the 70 do their ministry. And really the 70 would go out before him from town to town, village to village, proclaiming the kingdom of God and kind of prepare the way to pave the way for him and for the 12 to come. And so as they're doing this, and we don't know if Jesus was speaking figuratively or perhaps he had a vision. It's actually when he says he saw it, it's the same word that's used in the prophets. So when Daniel saw something, it's the same exact word. So possibly Jesus had a vision in the spiritual realm and saw that as the 70 went out, and preached the gospel and drove demons out of people, he saw something happening. And so my understanding of this text here is it's a couple of things. One is in that moment, when they were going from town to town, village to village, driving demons out of people, something happened in the realm of darkness. The strong man was toppled over and thrust to the ground. And Jesus is observing this through his disciples. It's interesting, the language that Jesus uses is probably from Isaiah 14. Some of you may be familiar with this passage. I want to read it because it's really the opposite of what Jesus is talking about here. And he takes the language and flips it. Listen to Isaiah 14. It's actually a, a prophecy or an oracle about Babylon. And there's something in it about Lucifer and Satan. Listen to what it says, the prophet Isaiah at verse 12 of chapter 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. 
So Isaiah is looking actually at the king of Babylon and saying there's something happening right now in history, but it's telescopic. It goes into the future as well. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly on the heights of Zephon. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Verse 15, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the depths of the pit. So Jesus was saying in that moment, there is something happening. The power of the enemy is being broken through my followers. And it's pointing to a future dethronement and destruction of the enemy here. Jesus is, when he speaks, it's consistently an already and not yet. A now moment and a future moment. So think about that, friends. If that happened with them, you, during the week, as you carry the kingdom of God, you pray for people in the name of Jesus, you confront darkness and yourself and other people, the power of Satan is broken. It's what he's saying here. It was broken decisively 2,000 years ago, but it continues to be broken. I want to make a comment here, okay? We're talking about a lot about exorcism, driving demons out of people and these kinds of things. And we mentioned last week that for the modern mind, this can be problematic. Well, I'm not sure I believe in demons. And we said, well, they exist. I want to say that there are moments when the Lord Jesus will drive demons out of people's lives, whether they're in them or on them, demonize people. The Lord drives darkness out of people. And it doesn't mean that we're looking for demons, we're demon hunting behind every tree. That's not the point at all. But the point is that we're awake, friends. That's the whole point of this. In spiritual warfare, we're awake. Could this be the work of the enemy? Might there be a demonic influence? Might there be spiritual opposition? If there is, I'm attacking it in the name of Jesus. Do you hear me on that? So we think through this pastorally with wisdom. There may be times where you're confronting a demon. It's coming after you or maybe manifesting in someone else, and we do it with great love and grace and authority in the name of Jesus. But we also value counseling and therapy and sozo, we all want healing for ourselves and for other people. And this is one dimension of it. Driving back darkness. A third thing is found at verse 19. And that is Jesus has given us authority over all the enemy's power. We've already hinted at this. We've seen him say it. But look at verse 19. It's pretty astounding. Jesus says, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions. Yikes. I don't want to tread. I don't want to walk on snakes and scorpions. It's figurative language here. And he explains that. Oftentimes in Jewish thinking, they'll make a statement and then they'll explain it. So he's saying, I'm giving you authority to walk on snakes snakes and scorpions. What do I mean by that? Look at the next statement. Over all the power of the enemy, nothing will hurt you. 
this is a word for now, isn't it? Nothing will hurt you. I've given you power over the enemy. And if you're plugged into media right now, it's the vomit of Satan washing over your brain. And so I invite you into texts like this. The Lord has given you authority, friends. If you're gripped with fear, get, get set free from it. I think in the coming weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to, to bring life and joy and deliverance to people because fear has taken root. We're followers of Jesus. He has given us authority. My Bible says, over all the power of the enemy, Satan, demons, sickness, disease, this is the kind of authority that he's giving. Why snakes and scorpions? Again, we've got to think Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus' mind was filled with the Jewish scriptures. And so here, as he's speaking to his disciples, he has the word of God flowing in his mind. And it's suggesting in Genesis 3.15, why don't you look at it real quick? Genesis 3.15. Again, why in the world are you talking about snakes and scorpions? We don't have a slide for this, so you can pull it up on your phone or a Bible if you brought it. Some people call this the first mention of the gospel in the entire scriptures. Genesis 3, 15, and this is on the heels of Adam and Eve being deceived, the fall of man and woman, and the word of the Lord is coming to them. And listen to what it says. I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and hers. He, the offspring, will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And so Jesus is saying that he has given his followers, i.e. us, authority to crush the head of the serpent. The essence of the gospel. The good news comes. The kingdom of God comes. So he's using a word picture. Revelation 12.9 says that the church is empowered to overcome the serpent. Satan, the devil, by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the lamb, and by not loving their lives to the point of death. One commentator says this, the picture of crushing these creatures, listen to this, and thereby defeating the hostility they represent, reasserts humanity's vice-regent role in creation. Okay, that's a lot, Brock. The fact that we walk on the heads of snakes and we're able to trample scorpions means Jesus is saying what was intended from the beginning for us to be God's image, God's representatives, he's restoring that to us. There's a lot here. The words of Jesus are interesting, multi-layered. Man, we could just camp out with that one verse. He's so full of wisdom. He is the word of God. So what he's saying here 
is worth pondering and meditating. When it comes to evil, back to that verse, the disciples can overcome anything that opposes them, for Christ's authority overcomes the enemy's power. I want to read a passage here from a great book. I recommend it. We'll actually order some. Connie, I don't think we have a craft book out there, do we? We will. Charles Craft, he was a friend of John Wimber at Fuller Seminary when Wimber came and did his class at seminary. This geeky anthropologist there, missionary, sat in on Wimber's class and it changed his life. But listen to what Charles Craft says about authority, the authority that we're given. saying this about his son. I thought this was a beautiful illustration because the the idea of, Wallace, you have authority. That can be kind of abstract, but this really makes it concrete. Is it okay if I read this? Just bear with me. Sometimes we lose being able to follow something that's read, but he says this. Dad, would you put my name on your credit card? Professor Kraft is saying this. This request came from my son, Rick, who was driving off to college 1,500 miles away in an old car. He was concerned lest the car break down and not have the money to get back on the road. You wouldn't want me to be stranded somewhere without being able to pay the bill, would you? He continued. I promise I won't misuse the credit card. His reasoning made sense to his mother and me, though we were a bit apprehensive about whether he would keep his word and not misuse the card. We had known this kid for 17 years and were not all sure that we could trust him. But he is our son, our own flesh and blood. And since we very much are in favor of his going off to college, in addition to paying his tuition, We're granting him to use our credit card. Our names would appear, catch this, our names would appear first on the card as the ones with ultimate responsibility. But Rick's name would appear immediately under our names, giving him authority to spend whatever the credit card company would allow us by way of credit. When my son's name was added to our credit card, he gained all the financial authority that our name would bring. You with me? At that time, our son's name carried no authority, none, since he had no credit with any financial institution. But with my name and my wife's name, he would have the resources to handle almost any emergency. When Jesus came to earth, it was as if he carried a credit card from his father with his father's name at the top and his own name under it. Like my son, Jesus came with all the authority his father's name would bring. He had full authority to spend whatever his father allowed him to. As he said, I can do nothing of my own authority. I'm not trying to do what I want, but only what the Father sends me to do. So Jesus has given us a credit card. 
Some of you are thinking, could I really get a real credit card? You have a spiritual credit card, friends, with full authorization, unlimited resources, because it's in his name. There it is, right there. Picture it. Ben, the Lord Jesus Christ, your name under it. You get to use the fullness of what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit issue to you. It's his authority, his name, his power, his resources. A fourth and final thing. We'll end with this here at verse 21. We started with joy, and this is a really interesting way to end a section on warfare. The Father reveals these things that we're talking about here to the childlike. Look at verse 21. Again, this whole thing is framed with joy. It started with the 70s saying, Lord, we're joyful. The demons are listening to us and we're driving them out of people. And now, here it is. The the whole text is bracketed with joy again. Verse 21, at the same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to children or infants. Father, this was your gracious will. So Jesus here is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. The man Christ Jesus, the God-man Christ Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and he rejoices. And he says, Father, thank you that you concealed these things from the arrogant and the highly educated and you revealed them to the childlike. And so this text ends with Jesus showing us that if we want to learn about spiritual warfare, then we got to be childlike. Do we have any know-it-alls in here? Anybody know it all? Anybody know everything? Mike, you know everything about spiritual warfare? Luke, you know? I certainly don't. So I, I want to be humble, and I want to invite us into that place with spiritual warfare. We don't really know much. It's okay, I mentioned we're family, right? I want this place full of action and I, I th- oftentimes I think about other parts in the world where there's maybe half the gathered church is kids. I love it. Doesn't distract me at all. I may just keep rolling. So I just I want us to cultivate that mindset. Actually, I feel I'm going to just prophesy this. The day is coming when we're going to have a lot of autistic folks, brothers and sisters with us, and we may have some vocalization and verbalization, and I love it. I welcome it. That's on the Lord's heart. Someone's clapping this morning. Let's get some energy and zeal. I remember watching my mentor at Evanston Vineyard as the church became increasingly diverse. We had a lot of folks from the south side of Chicago come, and right in the middle of Steve's sermon, he would be preaching, Steve Nicholson, and it would be, amen, brother Steve, amen. Hallelujah. And I mean, he had to get used to it. He wasn't, I love that. Let's have the diversity of what God wants. If that involves kids hollering out, 
Autistic saints letting us hear what's going on inside their minds. Pentecostal sisters and brothers shouting, whoever's up here. I, it's, the, it's the kingdom, isn't it? Sorry, I had to just go off on that a little bit. Is that all right? So here, amen? It doesn't distract the Lord, and I think if we can just develop a sense of, hey, this is what church is like. If you're in other countries, it's noisy, friends. We don't want to be frozen chosen, right? Not the frozen chosen. We want whatever God has. It's funny because I'm hearing the Lord say, well, you get ready for that, Brock. So I probably have like six people, amen, amen, amen. If there's anything to amen about, right? So this text right here has talked about having joy in warfare, having authority in the name of Jesus over all the enemy's power, and then the father revealing these things, these insights into warfare to the childlike. Mike, why don't you come up? And I don't know if the worship team wants to come up. I just ask, Father, that you would, we humble ourselves before your word and before this topic of spiritual warfare. And I pray today that we would receive afresh your authority, your credit card filled with all the resources Lord, fill us with a sense of authority right now. Why don't you do that? Why don't you ask the Lord, if this is in your heart, Lord, I want to receive and walk in your authority. Ask him. And Lord, we humble ourselves like children because the kingdom of God belongs to the childlike. We love you. We pray in the name of Jesus.